On this week's edition of New York Now, Congressman Tom Suozzi is one of two Democrats challenging Governor Kathy Hochul for the party's nomination for governor this year. He joins us to discuss top issues facing voters and his strategy heading into the June primary. Then, New York's top court throws out the new district lines for Congress and the state Senate. We'll have details with Keisha Kluke from Bloomberg Government. Plus, the latest on efforts to get Brian Benjamin off the June primary ballot. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. Some huge news out of Albany this week that's rocked this year's elections in New York. The state's highest court has now thrown out the newly drawn district lines for Congress and state Senate that were approved by Democrats in the legislature about two months ago. In a split decision, the court said the lines were drawn with, quote, an impermissible partisan purpose and to, quote, discourage competition. In a nutshell, the court upheld claims that the maps were gerrymandered and that has Republicans now taking a victory lap. State Republican Chair Nick Langworthy this week. The law was so clearly on our side in this case, and Democrats' actions were so brazenly illegal that even these partisan appointed judges could not stomach this filthy gerrymander. Democrats, of course, disagree, but they're now out of legal options. So now a special master will draw a new set of maps over the next few weeks. We'll circle back to that decision a little bit later in the show. But first, staying with politics now, a new poll out this week could spell trouble for incumbents in this year's elections in New York. According to the poll from Siena College, more than half of voters say the state is headed in the wrong direction. That's 52% of voters, to be exact, and it's the worst that number's been since 2010, when David Patterson was governor. That could be bad for Governor Kathy Hochul in her own bid for a full term, but it's also not great news for candidates up and down the ballot. Sienna pollster Steve Greenberg. Be wary. Be wary of the voters. The voters don't think things are growing right now. There's a very different mood in this state in terms of how voters feel about the state than has existed over the last decade. So that would be the caveat I would put out that affects all candidates. And that could be a benefit for candidates running against an incumbent. That includes Congressman Tom Suozzi, one of two Democrats challenging Governor Kathy Hochul for the party's nomination in this year's race for governor. Suozzi joined us this week with an update on his campaign and where he stands on top issues for New York voters. Congressman, thank you so much for coming back. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you. Of course, anytime. So let's start with the Siena College poll that was out this week. When asked by the Siena Research Institute, about 40% of voters said that they would vote for Governor Kathy Hochul if she was the Democratic candidate for governor in November. But about 45% of voters said that they would prefer someone else. And you want to be that someone else. Can you explain some differences between yourself and Governor Kathy Hochul as we head into the primary? You know, I've made it very clear from the beginning of this race that I'm very focused on the issues that New Yorkers are really concerned about. And I believe those are crime, affordability, and taxes. And now corruption's a big issue. Uh, we're also very different than I'm a proven executive. I'm trained as a CPA and attorney. I was a mayor, I was a county executive. I ran governments and I've been in Congress for the past five and a half years. I know how to get things done. And I'm a common sense Democrat. I'm not gonna pander to the left. I'm not gonna back down to the right. I'll work with anybody to actually solve problems, to try and help people. 
Now, going to the primary, a lot of people are thinking about ideology in terms of Democrats. You get lumped to the right of Kathy Hochul, which I think I don't think is true on some parts. But how do you respond to those voters that may be thinking, well, they don't want somebody to the right of Kathy Hochul. They want somebody that is to the left of Kathy Hochul or where she is ideologically right there. Yeah, I'm a lifelong Democrat. I was the New York State Environmentalist of the Year for the New York League of Conservation Voters. Uh, I have a 100% rating uh, from the League of Conservation Voters. Uh, I have a 100% rating from Planned Parenthood, 100% rating from the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, I have an F rating from the NRA. Kathy Hope was endorsed by the NRA when she was in Congress. Uh, I'm the chair of the Labor Caucus in the United States Congress. I'm the founder of the Labor Caucus. I was the a person of the year for the New York Immigration Coalition. I've got a lifelong record of serving the people uh, using my democratic values. But I've always worked together with anybody. I'll work with Democrats, I'll work with Republicans, I'll work with progressives, I'll work with moderates. I'work with anybody to try and find common ground to actually try and help people to get things done. That's why you know people say Swazi's talking about crime and taxes. Those are Republican issues. No, they're not. Democrats are concerned about crime and taxes as well. Right, they're everybody issues. Right. I'm not talking about these issues like it's Fox News. I'm talking about it from a perspective of a Democrat. But I know that that's what the people care about, and that's what I'm talking about. And as you mentioned before, corruption is now a big issue in this campaign, given the resignation of former Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin now. You have a new ethics plan out this week to clean up corruption in Albany. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Well, let me first start by saying, you know, New York State's been declared the most corrupt state in the United States of America by the Washington Post. So I'm laying out a plan today with a whole bunch of different uh, proposals uh, to try and address some of the, the root causes of problems in New York State. Number one, the Buffalo Bills deal and the other hundreds of millions, billions of dollars of deals that were put in at the last minute to the budget to try and get everybody's vote. I'm saying that any expenditure over $10 million that is not included in the executive budget, the Senate's budget, or the Assembly's budget, anything added at the last minute has to go through a public hearing process. How can it be? We're doing a $600 million bailout of the Buffalo Bills, the most lucrative deal with taxpayers' money in the history of the NFL, and there's not a single public hearing. So if you're gonna spend the people's money, at least have a process, at least discuss it. Number two, I'm saying very clearly, that we should lower the amount of money you can give a politician, uh, the governor, the lieutenant governor, anybody, to the same as it is at the federal level. $2,900 for the primary, $2,900 for the general. And it can only be individuals, no corporations. That's what it is at the federal level. Why not make it that at the state level? In New York State, you can give the governor, and a lot of people have done it, $67,000 between the primary and the general. Let's take some of the money out. That's what led to Brian Benjamin's problems were campaign contributions. So let's lower the limits. Let's have quarterly financial disclosures the same as they do at the federal level. There was a filing in January. We're not going to see another one until the end of May. Let's have it every quarter. So there are some other things, too, but those are some of the highlights. You know, in this year's state budget deal, lawmakers and the governor did tweak kind of J-COPE. So now the law schools will be able to vet people in terms of the members, but they, they're still appointing the members. What do you think about those changes? And would you like to see further changes to J-COPE or whatever we're going to call it in the future? The good government groups panned that idea, said she made it worse, not better. And I'm adopting what the good government groups have come up with, okay? There's seven groups that came together, like Common Cause and Nightperg and 
reinvent Albany and a whole bunch of other groups all came together and said, this is what we think you should do to address the problems with J-COPE. Let's have an independent ethics committee to review different issues that are not directly controlled by the governor and the state legislature, the majority of the state legislature. Let's make it a little bipartisan and let's give a lot of say and let's get some experts involved. I'm adopting their proposal 100%. Let's do what people who've devoted their lives to the public good in ethics are saying after a long study is the best way to deal with this. Let's just do what they're saying. Now, at the same time, a few weeks ago, the House Ethics Committee said that it is continuing an investigation into you over possibly uh, failing to disclose stock transactions the proper way. I want to give you a chance to respond to that investigation because I know there is um, some behind the scenes uh, information about it that may not have been made public during that release a few weeks ago. You know, it's this is the same thing that's been going on for some time. Every single year for five years, my five years in Congress, I filed an annual disclosure with all of my stock transaction, an annual disclosure complete. We reviewed it with the ethics committee before we submitted them every year. My accountant worked on it with them and we did it every year. Recently, last at the end of last year, they said, oh, you're supposed to be filing periodic disclosures as well. We said, well, we don't think we have to do that because all of my accounts are controlled by a broker. I have no discretion over it. There's no complaints about conflicts of interest or insider trading or anything like that. Uh, we've done the annual disclosures. They say, no, you're required under the law to do the periodic disclosures as well. We said, okay, we've gone back, we've filed all periodic disclosures uh, and it's just being reviewed by the ethics committee right now. Uh, so it's really not a matter that we didn't in intend to disclose everything. We did disclose everything annually. We were supposed to do it every 45 days after a stock transaction. We didn't, we're doing it now. And any idea what those stock transactions are? Are those uh, just, you know, retirement stocks? Or is there any more information that you can give people about that? There's a retirement account, uh, you know, like an IRA type, 401k type of thing. And then there's an individual account of money that I've saved over the years, my wife and I have saved over the years, that we trade the uh, stocks as well. And again, I have no say over it. It's all done by the discretion of a broker. All right, so circling back, we did talk about the budget a little bit before, but I want to circle back to negotiations during the budget. So if you're elected governor, you'd be presenting your budget address next January and then negotiating a budget sometime next March, April. I'm very excited to do that. Yeah, there you go. So how would how would your strategy look like for that? We saw this year's budget kind of very much behind the scenes, closed doors. Some of that was COVID. Some of it was just that people didn't want to talk to reporters in the public, which is everybody's prerogative. But how would you go about that budgeting process? You know, I've been following Albany for decades, back from when I was mayor, when I was county executive, uh, and now today. And there's a guy named Blair Horner who works in Albany for the past 30 years in different positions. He's, he's the head of NYPERG. He said this is the most secretive budget process he's seen the entire time that he's been uh, up in Albany. And, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. And I believe that the way to move policy, the way to persuade people to come along with your agenda is to be very public about it, to build a comprehensive plan and to try and bring the people along with you. And when you bring the people along with you, you can bring the state legislators along with you. I would be very public because I believe there's a benefit to being public because that's how you bring the public along with you to fight sometimes a recalcitrant legislature. 
Now, another item that was slipped in there at the last minute was changes to bail reform, which I know you've been vocal about in the past. These changes basically made um, some repeat arrestees more bail eligible and some gun crimes as well. It targeted hate crimes to some degree as well. How do you feel about the final uh, result of that? Would you have made any more changes beyond what was made in the budget? I absolutely would have made more changes. The proposal by Kathy Hochul was completely phony baloney, and what they adopted was very minuscule and it'll have very little effect. It's, it's, it, you have to give judges the discretion to consider dangerousness of the people that come before them. That's what I'm saying. That's what the mayor of New York City is saying. That's what the commissioner of police is saying. That's what the chief administrative judge is saying. That's what the district attorneys are saying. That's what 49 other states in the United States of America have and the federal government. New York State's the only state that doesn't give judges the discretion to consider dangerousness when defendants come before them. It's the number one issue, crime. You look at the polls. It's I, And I talk to people, people are being killed. People are being robbed. People are losing their businesses. People are getting beat up. People are traumatized for the rest of their lives. Crime is the primary responsibility of government. Public safety is the prerequisite to prosperity. Public safety is a prerequisite to enjoying life. And it's not being addressed. This should be all hands on deck, comprehensive approach. Let's fix this problem discussed in a very public way. Now, as we talk about New York's crime problem and crime seems to be on the minds of voters, I want to ask you about an end of session issue called the Clean Slate Act. So this would wipe criminal records clean for some people who have served their sentence and then waited some time after that. There are various proposals out there. Some say seven year gap for felonies, three year gap for misdemeanors. There are other proposals as well. How do you feel about that proposal in terms of the Clean Slate Act overall, the idea of it? Well, the idea of the Clean Slate Act is a good idea in that you don't want people, especially with low-level uh, marijuana possession offenses, for example, or some other low-level crimes, for that to haunt them for the rest of their lives when they're going to seek, seek a job, when they're trying to get back into working in society and being a productive member of the community. You, don't, you want to give them a clean slate after a, you know that they've uh, kept their nose clean, so to speak, uh, to move forward. Uh, so the devil is always in the details on every single one of these issues. It can't be that someone committed, committed murder uh, is given a clean slate. It can't be that someone who's committed violent crimes uh, and, and only a few years has passed, and even if it's three years or seven years, is given a clean slate. Especially if you're in a job where you are dealing with children. Especially if you're in a job that is in some way sensitive that people need to know what your background was. People make mistakes in life, and you need to figure out a way to, especially black and brown people that have been systemically incarcerated over a long period of time. We know there's injustices that exist in the system. They have to be addressed. But let's do it in a way that's not going to exacerbate the dysfunction we have in our society with crime today. It's one of many issues that we'll be looking into as the primary approaches. Of course, on Tuesday, June 28th, Congressman Tom Swazi, candidate for governor, thank you so much. Dan, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Proven executive, common sense Democrat, crime, taxes, affordability, and go after the corruption in New York. Thank you. And just a reminder that Swazi will be one of three Democrats on the ballot in the June primary. The other two are Governor Kathy Hochul and New York City public advocate Jamani Williams. We're hoping to speak with both of them before the primary. More on that soon. In the meantime, an update in the race for lieutenant governor. 
As we told you, Governor Kathy Hochul's campaign was turned upside down two weeks ago after her lieutenant governor was indicted on federal corruption charges and resigned. So now Hochul wants to get him off the ballot in the June primary. But the problem is it's too late for that to happen easily. So she's now asking the state legislature to approve a change in state law that would allow her to get him off the ballot and possibly pick a replacement. But that idea is already being met with resistance from lawmakers. Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins. Well, you know how, how I've been very clear, you know, I really, really, really uh, uh, don't like to change rules uh, in the middle of a process and certainly uh, in the middle of you know, the election. Now, if that doesn't happen, that could put Hochul in a tough spot. If she wins the primary, she'll be running in the general with one of the other candidates for LG. But neither of them support her, so that makes it a bit tricky. So we'll see what happens there. But staying now with this year's elections, another third-party candidate is trying to make his way on the ballot for November. Howie Hawkins is launching a new campaign for governor with the Green Party in New York. And it's not the first time. Hawkins has run for governor on the Green Party line every election cycle since 2010. He's now trying to get enough signatures to get on this year's ballot. And if he does, he's hoping to get enough votes this year so that it's easier for the Green Party to get on the ballot in the next round. Basically, if a third party gets enough votes in one election, it's easier for them to get on the ballot in the next one. And Hawkins says that's possible this year. I think we have a different dynamic this year. We have a uh, centrist corporate Democrat and a far-right Republican in all likelihood, which leaves a a lot of space on the political left, and we hope to appeal to those people and get what will probably be at least 150,000 votes to secure a ballot line. But we think that's our path. And circling back now to redistricting and other news from the Capitol this week, let's get into it with Keisha Kluke from Bloomberg Government. Thank you for being here, Keisha. Thanks for having me. So redistricting, I'm so glad we have so much time to talk about it. It's a, it's a mess. So we <laughs> talked about it at the top of the show about the decision kind of vaguely, but let's start there with what the decision, well, let's start first with what were they arguing in terms mm -hmm. of the, the people who were suing over the maps? What was their argument? Mm -hmm. And there's so many places uh, to go with this because yeah. <laughs> there are so many aspects of this story. Um, so basically, uh, the Republicans were suing because they said that the maps were gerrymandered and going against the state constitution, which requires them to be nonpartisanly created. Um, and they actually won uh, the case all the way up to the highest court, the Court of Appeals in New York. And um, the court basically got it on almost like a technicality. So the way that the process was is this independent redistricting commission, um, which is independent because there's essentially five uh, Republicans and five Democrats at the end of the day, um, hadn't it submitted a set of maps that submitted two sets, a Democratic set and a Republican set. Um, the legislature said, we don't like either of them. Go back and try again. Um, they said, we can't. <laughs> so. Which was like the whole, like, th that was the thing, is on the second round where the legislature was like, go back and try again, and the IRC, the Independent Redistricting Commission, was literally like, no. Yeah, there were, there were part of them who said, we want to come to the table, and another part who said, we can't, and then they were, it was just finger pointing, it was a mess. So at the end of the day, they didn't submit the second set of maps, which is how it's written in the Constitution. So then um, the legislature created its own maps. Now the legislature had its own committee who has done this for, for years and years, um, and they just created their own maps. Well, the legislature, um, both the Assembly and the Senate, are led by supermajority Democrats, 
So the Republicans voted against the map, so it was passed in a partisan manner. Mm -hmm. um, and basically the court said, you know, the Constitution <clears throat> lays out this process and you didn't follow the process. Um, and thus, in the end, the result was this um, nonpartisan um, gerrymandered, uh, or I'm sorry, partisan gerrymandered map. Which is so interesting because you're right, there are two parts to this where the first one was literally like, uh, the first part of the decision was literally like, you didn't do this the right way, so these maps are bad anyway. And then the second part was like, but even if you had done this the right way, like let's say that, I don't know, you voted down the maps and now you had to draw them. The court also said, well, you also drew them the wrong way too. Mm -hmm. Which was like, it, 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 it's so quintessential Albany to get this wrong. <laughs> This is the result, as we should remind people, of a constitutional amendment from a decade ago that was supposed to set up a truly independent process. But the problem with that commission was that the appointees were appointed by partisan members of the legislature. So it was almost a given from the start for a lot of people that this was going to end in a stalemate. So as we said earlier in the show, the Democrats are now out of legal options in terms of they don't have a higher court to go to for this. So what's the next step? Okay, so, well, it's, it's important to note that this um, case eventually ended up just um, being about the congressional maps yes. and the state senate maps. Yes. But the assembly maps, which, by the way, were created through the same process, are totally fine. Now, the assembly Republicans could sue, and this could set a precedent for them to sue, but they're pretty much happy with the maps. The maps were actually not too bad for assembly Republicans. So I think we won't see, I mean, anything could happen in New York, but I think we won't see a lawsuit on that. Um, but what that means is the way that it's set up now, there will be two primaries. Hmm. Uh, there will be one in June for the statewide offices, like governor, judges, things like that. Um, and then also the assembly maps. Now, at the same time, there will be um, a, the lower courts, the Supreme Court has appointed someone to redraw the maps uh, for the Senate and the uh, congressional lines, and those will theoretically be in August. Now, here's the fun thing. Choose your adventure in New York um, because there was a 2012 federal uh, court order that required New York State to have the congressional or the federal um, primaries in June to give enough time for the um, November election to send out those overseas military ballots, um, absentee ballots ahead of time. Now, previously, New York had the primaries in September, and there was enough time to do that, the court deemed. So New York changed it to have the primaries in June. We are not a stranger to two primaries. In 2018, for example, we had the state primaries in August and the congressional in June, just as the court ordered, and now we're looking at flipping it. However, it's a question of whether or not we can actually do that legally. So we could see yet another court case at the federal level. Um, and if that federal judge, hypothetically, were to rule in favor of having um, the June congressional maps, that would mean that the maps would stay as is, in which case, um, here's you're asking why is this important at all. Um, no, I'm, I'm enthralled. <laughs> yes, right I know there's so many uh, aspects to this story. So if they agree with Democrats and the um, races go on as continued on, on in June, um, that means that the Democrats nationally could potentially pick up additional seats in New York, which would offset some Republican gerrymandering in other, in other states that was allowed to go forward, so they could potentially keep control of the House nationally. Now, in New York, um, it, if that were to happen, 
Um, it could be a benefit for Kathy Hochul, who has a lieutenant governor. Um, yeah, that's what I, I was going <laughs> to yeah. ask you. How does this play into that? So the problem mm -hmm. with the governor is that she doesn't have a running mate that she prefers. I don't want to say she doesn't like the two that she has as an option right now, but she's trying to find a way to get a, another candidate on the ballot for lieutenant governor. So is it a possibility now that we have the governor and the lieutenant governor primary also move to August with that, and that might give her an opening? So it depends on what happens. Um, as one of the uh, good government groups said, we're kind of in the fogs of war right now. Um, the dust hasn't settled and people haven't really decided what they could do. But the legislature could decide to move all of the uh, June races to uh, August, at which point we would have one primary, we'd save about 40 to $60 million, which would be beneficial to taxpayers. Um, and um, if allowed, so the question is, uh, the petitioning has already happened for the June primary in all of the races. The petitioning will need to be redone for the Senate and Congress. If they pass legislation, they may um, move it and change that petitioning process, in which case she could pick her, her lieutenant governor of choice. As it stands right now, she's out of luck. <laughs> it's such an interesting thing to watch all the moving parts because I can already see the talking points of moving the primaries from June to August, right? It's, it's what you said, saving the taxpayers money, which is a huge benefit, I mean, for everybody. The other one is giving everybody a little more breathing room. You know, you don't want to rush a process. And the third thing is really that primaries are low turnout elections as it is. So you have an election in June that we're not expecting a huge turnout for. And then suddenly late in the game, we're now adding this August primary. So it, it, are voters going to actually come out in June and in August and November. I think that's the question for everybody. Um, I'm just so excited to see what happens in the next few weeks with this, but we are out of time, unfortunately. Keisha Kluke from Bloomberg Government, thank you so much for being here. Thanks. And as always, you can get the latest news from the state capitol on our website. That's at nynow.org. Until then, thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well.